Alan Winston here, co-host of Bar Crawl Radio. For this very special BCR podcast, I spoke with Father Philip Cabal, a Salesian Catholic and educator in Western Africa. Father Philip works to end what has been a repressive educational system in Sierra Leone and Uganda and elsewhere that gives advantages to boys and limits the potential of its girls. He told me about his experiences during the brutal civil wars in Sierra Leone in the 1990s and his efforts now to educate the young in both practical and professional fields. I spoke to Father Philip at the Catholic Workers Mary House Library in Manhattan's Bowery District. Uh, we're here at Mary House. Um, you just got back in from San Francisco. What were you doing there out in San Francisco? Um, well, good evening, Alan. Since the first day I talked to you on phone, I was so delighted. And you are very uh, accommodative, you know. So I was looking forward to talking to you. And always, I think we'll be in partnership now to share what we're doing for humanity here on Earth. So I've just returned from San Francisco. We have the Salesians there, uh, Salesians of Don Bosco. We are a group of Catholic men who uh, are there for the education of the young people. So all the young people, when they come to our home, they are always welcome. So we have this a school that educates. And then we have a playground and also a church. So we, all these young people, we bring them to God, but not necessarily to God. So uh, this is what we do as Salesian, and these are the group of people I went to see in San Francisco. And when you're working, you work in Sierra Leone. In What, 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 what is the town that you work in? I worked in Lunge. Lunge. Yeah, Lunge is where we have the international airports. But you... But they normally refer to the international airport as Freetown International Airport okay. because that's the capital. But Lunge is actually where the plane lands, and then you cross with the boat, with the speedboat, with the ferry, yeah, and then you go to Freetown. So I am working in Lunge, but we also have houses in Freetown and another place we call Bo. I, I wanted to... Um talk to you about the wonderful work that you had been doing in U- Uganda okay. and, and in Sierra Leone okay. uh, around Freetown to uh, educate the children yeah. and the young teens of yeah. your country. Yeah. Um, and I understand you're here in part to raise some money for, for uh, six of your students yeah. who are getting ready to graduate. Yeah. Um, why did you choose education as your um, focus of your priesthood? Yeah, um, well, uh, Salesians are educations of the young. I wanted to be a Dalsitian priest, but then I saw the Salesians, I met a couple of them, and then they introduced to me their charism when I was still in school. And And they said they introduced you to what? Their charism. Charism is the goal of what they stand for. In the church, we call it charism, a Is special this like, like spirit. Charisma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charisma. Charisma. Okay. Yeah. So here we say charism of the founder, that is Don Bosco. He was educating the young people and the poorest of the poor to bring them closer to God and then to bring them to society. Uh, tell us a little more about Don Bosco. Uh, Don Bosco is an Italian saint. As a very young age, he lost his father. The father died, so he was brought up by his own mom. 
And Don Bosco wanted to be a priest, but a very special priest that will be there for the young people, you know, going to the prison because of the industrial revolution he saw at that time, you know, when uh, machines were replacing human beings. And then the young people were in Turin, so they were in prison, and they were in the street in Turin, in Italy. They have nobody to care for them. And when Don Bosco became a priest, he said he was going to dedicate his life to the education of young people and the poorest of the poor. So we Salesians, we go to places where they are poor people. And if the place becomes so rich, then sometimes we change our missions more. We go where we really find the poor people. So, so if an area gets too rich, too wealthy, too well-to-do, you move on to a, a poor area. Yeah, that can be one criteria, but not necessarily. Okay. I, I, I repeat that again. Because sometimes we, we get land in towns where nobody is there, like I saw in Fr San Francisco. And then eventually people come, you know, rich people come around. Mm -hmm. And we have a school, and then the young people start coming to our school. So we didn't send them away because we care for everyone. But we, we allow the, the rich young people to pay more so that we are able to educate the poor young people. Are you mixing the wealthy and the poor together in a single classroom? Yeah, yeah. Our mission is really for the poor young people. But in the situation we're in, because poverty is not just uh, about money. You can be poor in uh, education. You can be poor in, in your character. Mm -hmm. You can be poor in, in many ways. So even the rich young people, they need this. So we are there to also give it to them. So we don't discriminate. We put them together. But then we encourage. We encourage the rich, their family, and it has happened a lot, you know, when they also pay for the poor student we have in our schools. Excellent, excellent. I've also, um, because you've told me, I, I have heard that the Salesian approach to education is different um, uh, than the normal way that you educate students in Sierra Leone. Yeah. Uh, that it's not as uh, obtrusive, not as corporal, but it's more Punishment. through love and, 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 uh, and encouragement. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that approach to education? Yeah. So actually we have, we Salesians of Don Bosco, we have a system we call the preventive system. Preventive means to prevent something from happening, like in English, you know. We don't want things to happen, then we punish. So we prevent them from taking place. And, you know, normally we have also the repressive system. Here, the repressive system in America, you don't use it much. But in many places in Africa, they use it. So there's a repressive and there's a preventive. We use the preventive. And even me who is seated here, I went through the repressive system. Uh, your dad or your teacher will tell you, you do this, finish. And then they will wait to see if you will commit the crime and then you are punished. It's almost like they expect you to do the crime? Like they expect yeah, you not will, to finish? Yeah, they, they, they are waiting. Some, in some situation, they will see who is going to break the law. You know, so they will expect you to. They, the law is that they will make the law once and for all. Don't do this, don't do this, like in the military. Yeah. So all these rules are given to you. Don't go out at this time. Don't do this. So anyway, when you make a mistake as a child, you come to school late, 
you are beaten seriously beaten really with canes i've even seen some places when people uh maybe some children steal something small like chicken and then they set fire and put the hand there oh my god you know so uh some of these things have happened i have seen did any of this happen to you while you were going to school you uh, said you were brought up in the repressive system yeah no not to me this did not really happen to me but it has happened to a lot of people okay. who have scars who have marks being beaten you know they are grown up having marks and they will tell you i was seriously beaten so we solution we have come to analyze that the repressive system never helped the child to grow as a human being it just make them angry it just make them moody it just make them want to fight it just make them not to come out and be who they are mm -hmm. because you always put fear in the child there's no familiarity you know so you don't smile much you are like a boss even to your child you know and that's why don bosco said the preventive system is not just for the student we even use it for our equals right yeah so the repressive is and um, I, I don't make you friend you know we don't shake hands you you come how are you it's like a superior and an inferior it, it is like that now the preventive system is different here all the young people i came from san francisco and went to new russia we have our headquarters there again and this was lunchtime here in new russia and the young people were all standing in for lunch and I also ate the same lunch. I stood in the line. And the provincial, who is the head of the whole uh, place, I would say the whole country, he, no, he was standing also in the line. But because the children were much, there were too many, he said, ah, Father, I'm going to eat another food. So he went. Then I said, no, Father, I really want to eat that food. And I have to be patient enough to, <laughs> to get my own turn with, with little, little children, you know, mm -hmm. young, young, young kids in a high school in New Rochelle. That's an example of the preventive system. When the young person is able to come to you freely and express himself or herself, and he say, well, this is what is happening to me. So, you know, in Africa, you hear a lot also about abuse cases. So if somebody, um, uh, children, when they are abused, they are not able to say it because they are repressed. When they say it, they will beat them seriously, whether they are right or they are wrong. So the, the, the elders are always right. You as a child, you don't have any right in this world. So this is like the repressive system. Okay. Here in the preventive, the young people have rights. We come, we sit on the table, we talk. This is what Don Bosco called presence. It is not just presence of being there and you are not you are passive no you have to be active we call it active presence we are in you you are there with the young people you see what they want you you try to help them so that they don't commit a crime or so that they don't hurt one another you are there with them right yeah. and and you and you are um putting this um approach to education and practice in Sierra Leone and you were a principal in a Uganda school yeah. using those those principles. Uh, back in the 1990s when you were um, a young student, um, Sierra Leone had a civil war, a major civil war. Um, there's stories of children soldiers. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's part of the, 
lore of, yeah. of your country. Yeah. That must have created enormous amounts of problems within the education system during those 10-year period um, and probably afterwards. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So uh, Sierra Leone, at the moment, when you go to Sierra Leone now, you see that education has really gone down. Sierra Leone used to be referred to as the Athens of West Africa. Say that again. Athens, you know Greece. Uh, we oh the Athens. Uh, yes, the, the Athens, Athens of, of yeah, uh, the Africa. Athens of West Africa. Of West Africa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, we we believe that is where civilization started. As uh, we go along the line, things went down. Why? One is war. While we were fighting, you know, we are out of school. There was a time we were out of school for one year. Mm. There was a, yeah, the whole year, there was no school. So w what was it like when you were a young student? You had to leave? Yeah. Um, what, what was that experience? So in my situation, um, it's terrible, you know. I would have finished school a long time, like, uh, you know, compared to the period I was supposed to take when we eventually had the civil war. So I was in the town, the rebels attacked yeah. in the boarding school. So I just ran and followed people whatever direction they were going. You remember this? Yeah, I remember happened. this very well. I have gone to town um, to pick something. I remember they are, my parents have sent something for me in town. Well, how so, old were you? Uh, I would have been like 14. Mm. So my parents sent something for me. I was not in high school to go and pick in town. I went to town. Then... The rebels started shooting. Where you just hear gunshot, and everybody start like like here. You you know we have the parade, and then you hear the mm -hmm. the uh, fireworks. You think that's so uh, people just ran in different directions. Mm -hmm. So we just this was gunshot. It was not uh, fireworks. Yeah. So then I follow people in the bush. When you see them eating, you just go and sit and you eat with them. That's what I did. I really remember this one because I was now 14, you know. So I, I followed some people and we just went to this uh, bush. I saw them eating the whole day at five. They all clustered around a radio because in Sierra Leone, since it's a British colony, they like listening to BBC a lot, mm -hmm. British Broadcasting Corporation. Mm -hmm. So three o'clock, five o'clock, focus on Africa. So that evening, everybody clustered around the radio station hmm, to listen to the focus, what has happened, they have attacked. That was a mining town. It was a rich town. We had a mine bauxite. Yes, we have a lot of white people there, you know, who were working in the, in the bauxite plantation and getting rich there yeah they are yeah they are rich there and they have a special compound for them they call them ss compound senior staff compound mm. very beautiful you know and this town at lunch there will be a siren that blows you know and then people go for lunch and all this and so the whole town we hear it was very nice how it used to happen and they have just waited when these people have gone back to work then they attack. Mm -hmm. They have come for lunch, and they have returned, and then they attack. So it was right after lunch that this attack happened? Yes, and they had some of them are hostage as human shields so that they can negotiate with the government, you know? So anyway, 
I and you were 14. You could have been taken. Yes. And, and, and made into be one of the soldiers that yes. were working for them. Yes. Did you have a fear of that? Did you know that was going on? Uh, yes, I have a fear of that. And I totally avoided that. That's why I ran in the bush. I have friends who became rebels mm. because at the age of 14, if you join these people, you can rape, you know, mm. and they will teach you how to rape and mm. they will give you drugs. The war in Sierra Leone was terrible. Children were killing their own parents. And I, ha I didn't see, but then they were uh, splitting sometimes uh, pregnant women. They are yeah, you know, removing the babies. Yeah. It's terrible, you know, and they were burying people alive. So all this fear came to me. I, I wanted to be a priest. I didn't want, if you go to these guys, I don't know the money you, because you are going to loot and get money. But I can't, I can't follow this. Yeah. I cannot follow. But you have young people who, who are materialistic. I, I know if a, the, the boy who introduced me to serve at altar, he joined them. Mm. He was a good boy from a good family. But do you, do you know them. what happened to him? Uh, till now, the parents don't know. So always when they see me, they, they cry because right. we are moving together. But yeah. he was in another town anyway. So anyway, I just followed these people. We went, and they were eating. I joined them. We ate. I don't know them. Then the next day, we walk a very long distance, like uh, 50 miles mm -hmm. to my own village, where my grandmother was. So I went to my own village, and we are staying with the grandma. Um, maybe after one month, they said the rebels are coming again to that town at night. And the rebels, they come, they will, sometimes they will give you a notice that we are coming today. So you get the information. So they, they said they were coming to our village at night. And we went to the bush with my grandmom and this. And my grandfather, we can't take him. So he was lying down the bed. He couldn't, he couldn't move. He, he couldn't walk yet. But he was paralyzed, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was just lying on the bed. And we have to go to the bush, you know. So we, we left him in, in, in town. And he died eventually, maybe after two days or so. And then... The because rebels, there was no one there to take care of him. Yeah. Then the rebels bury him. Sometimes they were okay. They can bury like old people like that. Possibly because of the smell. You, uh, yeah. So uh, and, and that night we went to the bush and we saw them burning our town. One thing that was peculiar about these rebels... When they enter the town, they can loot and burn the whole town. Some oh. towns are burnt down completely. So this village was burnt down completely. You can be in the bush and you can see. Then my grandmom said, oh, you, you are young. They will catch you and you'll be a rebel. So you, you go to Bo. Bo is our biggest town, 32 miles. So we follow people to go to. So my grandmom said, you go to Bo. I me, mean, I'm old woman now. Let me be in the bush. You know why? And, and they, they go to the farm because they are farmers, you know. They go to the farm and get food and they're able to survive. But they will not do anything to them because they are old, you know. Yeah. But if they catch me, I will, I, will, I will be a rebel. At that age, it was this type of age they were looking for. So because of that, I have to be on constant run. So I ran to, to Bo. 
I and Bo, Bo was in control of the government forces. I yeah, guess, no? government forces were in some strategic towns. So I went there. And you were by yourself? Yeah, I was by myself. So mm-hmm. I went to Bo, just being with friends and all these things. And after some time, I said, let me go to Freetown because I have two aunties there and an uncle. So I, I follow um, a track. In those days, the road from Freetown to Bo, like now, because we have good road, is three hours drive. In those days, it can take a whole day. It was too bad with <laughs> potholes and whatever. But we went through McKinney. I entered the truck, in the back of the truck. I have a little money I gave to the truck driver. So we went to McKinney. McKinney is far, far north. I'm from the south. This is the north. Yeah, so when we reached McKinney, there's, there was a lady who possibly fell in love with the driver. <laughs> yeah, with the truck driver. So she said, oh, this is my brother. And we went to that guy's house, and we ate, and we slept there. In the morning, there was a bus from McKinney to Freetown. This is still a long distance, you know? But there was a bus. And you've so, never been on a bus before. And I have no money even. But this woman said, this is my brother. So I didn't know her. So this man, you know, he took us to the bus station. And I was with this woman. And we went to Freetown. Mm. When we went to Freetown. They paid for your ticket. Yeah, they paid for my ticket. Nice. And I went to Freetown. When we went to Freetown, my auntie was staying in the place they call Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. That is dead west. So I had this address in my head because our aunties used to come from the capital to the village and then they, they tell us, I am number nine Kokube Lane. Kokube. I still remember it. Number nine Kokube Lane. Yes, number nine, number nine Kokube Lane. I still, I still remember the place. I have gone there to visit again. Oh, this was the. Oh, you've gone back there and looked at it. Yeah, look at it. My auntie. It was the rent. It was the rentals, you know. Uh-huh. So this woman brought me very close to the place. She gave. We reached Freetown. She gave me food, and then she brought me very close from the east. East. This is very far, you know, in the capital, from the east to the west. Mm. She brought me very close. Then she said, Ah. Let me go now because and she did well. I asked for her name. There was no phone numbers at that time. So I came to my auntie's house under the rain. And then my auntie saw me. Mm. She said, what? She could not believe. So I think two days I told my auntie I want to go and say thank you to that woman. And then my auntie said no because I would not know the place, you know. I felt bad that I have never... <laughs> you, that you never said thank you to this woman. Yes, I said thank you at that time, but I really wanted to appreciate more, to go back and say, well, I found the place. You don't know her name? I or... don't know her name. I, I don't know, but she's a good woman. God bless her. Well, yes. uh, you, you wouldn't probably have become the man you are if you didn't get that help. We all have to help each other. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, and, yeah. Ap- go on, go on. After that, my auntie tried to to place me in one of the schools, but it was difficult. And I was not going to school. So I said, well, I didn't come here just to stay here, just to be in Freetown and to be doing some domestic work. I need education. And maybe the only one who can give me is my dad. 
I had my dad and my mom. And your dad was a doctor? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had my dad and my mom there in a burnt island. And if you see the map of Sierra Leone, there's a small island. My auntie did not want me to go anywhere, and I was not going to school. So one day, I ran from the house, and I walked, I don't know how many distance, and I went to the, to the boat, to the ferry, where the boat normally take off from to go to Bond. I didn't have any money on me, so I went there, and I said, uh, you know, the CHO who is in Bond, it's a small island, is my dad, so you take me, my dad will go and pay. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and your dad will pay for you. Yeah, yeah, so then they they took me, it took two days, you know, because these are wooden boats. Mm. We call them Pampa in Sierra mm -hmm. Leone. My dad saw me. He was surprised. How did I come to meet him in Bond, you know? Right. So he thought I was dead anyway. So he was surprised to see me. Then eventually the war started to uh, get better. So my dad got another job uh, in the mainland. So he moved there with MSF, Medicine Sam Frontier. There's a French um, NGO who cares for the... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. An NGO, right. Yeah, right. Medici, medics, you know. So they employed my dad to go to one village. So I came over to the mainland. And when I came to the mainland, I started going to a school. And that was now like um, junior school still. I sat to my basic education exam to go to a senior secondary school. And I told my dad, I want to go to Christ the King College in Bo. So he said, well, you have no money. How can you go to those type of school? I said, I will look myself. So I took the car. I went. I talked to the principal. I said, I want to be a priest. And this is the school I want. So... <laughs> And my dad was surprised and how I got the money and started going to school. And then the story continues. <laughs> right, right. Then finally I finished and I joined the Salesians. You were thinking about going to the medical field yeah. and or the priest field. And you uh, said, well, if I dream about a church tonight, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to become a priest. And you dreamt about a church. Yeah. Right. In our town, we have a big hospital. And since my dad was also... A medical person I say I want to be a doctor or a priest we see the I see the white priests the one who baptize and confirm me and I have this belief that the priest they don't die because many people were dying in our village but this priest never died <laughs> so you become a priest you don't die so that's that's as a child you know we all vocation we all come because of something and you purify those intentions right. anyway i've come i said priest they don't die so yeah. so let me become a priest and uh, but i said but i want to become a medical doctor so i went to sleep and i said okay i'm going to sleep today if i dream a church i become a priest an hospital I became a doctor. So in my dreams, I saw a church, and that's how I decided, okay, it's free. This is Barcore Radio Podcast. I'm Alan Winson, and I'm talking with Father Philip Cabau, a Catholic priest and educator from Sierra Leone. In the last half of our conversation, I talked to uh, Father Philip about his work to give young women power in a male-dominated society. 
we were speaking at the Catholic Worker Mary House in New York City's Bowery District. Um, you, you eventually became an educator, um, and you've told us about um, when you were a principal of a Catholic Salesian school in Uganda, yeah. that you helped the, the girls there. What is the situation of um, female students in Uganda, in Sierra Leone? There is a separation between the boys and the girls. We mm-hmm. think they think of boys and girls differently. Yeah. Uh, in Af- in some countries in Africa, because I have also worked in South Sudan, oh. yeah, and also studying Kenya, so many places in Africa have been, and Ghana, and of course Nigeria. So the boys always have rights. Mm-hmm. Boys, they cannot go to the kitchen. Uh, you know, it's a little. That's the girls' the place. Kitchen. Yeah, but the the boys can bring water, can fetch water. And then the guys will cook, and they will wash your clothes. And you don't wash clothes. But you can maybe clean, clean the floor and split wood. We use a lot of firewood. So it's the men who split firewood, you know. You know, it's not, it's not that much different here in the United States in certain communities mm. where the women have very specific jobs and yeah. the men have specific jobs. Yeah. Of course, there's, there, there's a push against that. Yeah. You told a story about um, the um, election of the president of the student body and the uh, vice president of the student body, and you may try to change the whole culture of that. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, in Uganda, it's even more uh, prevalent, the difference between the women and the men. Mm-hmm. In our school, there's already this thing that uh, women are not meant for education, you know? So even the way the women, they greet, they have to kneel down. Even if you're educated, you are number one. You have to kneel down to greet a man. Hmm. Yeah. Actually kneel down on the, on the ground. Yes, yes. Even, let's say you have 10 PhD, you have to kneel down to greet. Is that true today? Yes, even today. But wow. that's their culture. And sometimes I try to say, why are you kneeling down for your fellow human being? And they say, but Father, that's our tradition. Hmm. And the women will tell you, no, it's our tradition. We have to... And, and I've seen women kneeling down for men. Let's say the men have not even gone to school, but these women are one, but that's a tradition. But you can only kneel down for a man when he greets in your local language. Oh. And this is particular with the Baganda. If you greet in English and another language, you stand. But if you greet in the local language, you kneel. Oh, so many rules. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, in this school, Almost all the years I see the men always stand for the student leader to be the, 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 the president of the school. You know, we call it guild president. Always will be a competition among young men. I said, but, so I asked, but why women never become? And then they said, no, Father, you don't bring those things here. I said, but in Sierra Leone now, we try to change more. No, this is not Sierra Leone. Okay, next year I will try something. So I told one of the students, you are going to stand for the election. This is a girl. Yeah. So, and then this is said, standing for election for the president of the guild. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's going to challenge him. And then he said, no, Father. I said, no, don't worry. I'm going to support you. I, I, I know you know win, you know, at the beginning, but you have to start. And then he said, okay, no problem. So she 
pick up some courage, and then she stood for the election. Uh, the fellow ladies were provoking her. You know, we are laughing at her. But now women can stand. It's not only for men. Women can also stand. They have the right to stand. Yeah. Yeah. So and it, has to, it has to start somewhere. Yeah. I try to push it in a lot of ways. Right, right. When the women can participate in things that the men thought that it's only meant for them. Right. The, uh, the other thing that you had talked about with us was your work with the trade schools yeah. uh, and the need for of your students to consider going to a trade school rather than a professional school. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, the trade school, I would say, is the way in Sierra Leone. Most of these young people, some of them we even sponsor, they go to university and they study human resource. Human resource, Sierra Leone is about 7.5 million people now. There's not a great need for human resource workers. Yeah. In other words. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So let's say we have graduating students, let's say 100, 100, 100. I'm just approximating. Mm -hmm. Now, where do they we work? Have, if we have 500 people who are studying human resource and we are going to work. Yep. So you are spent four years in university paying a lot of money. And you end up not having a job. Maybe they want to leave Sierra Leone. Maybe that's the purpose. Yeah, they want to leave, but uh, how sure are you? So they finish and they don't have a job. Yeah. Now, these young people, according to me, if they go and study trades, skilling themselves, like mechanic, we have four cars in the Salesian residence in Lungi, where I stay, and they are all not in working condition. The cars? Yes, because we take them to the mechanics and they do trial and error. Oh, they, they fix the car through trial and error? Yeah. Not through knowing what's going on Yeah, with but the they car. will tell you they know what they are doing. So mm -hmm. you go there and they say, no, I know every, everybody is a mechanic. Even in Uganda, the children, all of them, they will tell me I'm an engineer. <laughs> when they are just mechanics, you know? They say, no. But they're not trained. Yeah, they, they, some, even my student, they call themselves, when they want to introduce themselves, they are happy. They say, this is engineer, John, engineer. Uh. <laughs> so this funny. Anyway, you take the car to one of these workshops, and then they say, no, in fact, I know how to fix it. I know I have fixed it. I've done it for 20 years. The last car, I will show you a picture. I don't know if the pictures are here now. On the, I really wish to have shown you the picture. I saw them yesterday. We took this car. We spent more than $1,000, and it's still not in working condition. Still not in working condition. Still not working. Yeah. And this car is still, they are all parked. Why? You take your car, and then the, the guys, so it takes really a blessing to get a good mechanic. And that's what you're working for. You're working towards teaching them yeah. to be effective mechanics. Yeah, mechanics. Oh, we don't have energy in Sierra Leone. Sometimes we have electricity today. We don't have for one week. We don't. Now, Africa has so much energy in solar energy. Get solar panels, you know, put it in the houses, and then you're okay. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't need to pay for electricity. You don't need to. So there are a lot of potentials to tap. I'm sure if you, instead of going to university, you are a mechanic, you, you will get possibly $1,000 in a month. That's a lot of money. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a lot of money. Right. And yeah. so you're working with these children in trade schools in this area to get them uh, have successful careers. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. Through the trade school. The other, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, and this will be our, our last thing, mm-hmm. is that in Sierra Leone, there's been a lot of, the, the effects of climate change have been dire there. Okay. Uh, they will be all over the world, but yeah. in Sierra Leone, you've got enormous mudslides. Yeah that have killed hundreds and hundreds of people. It's not going to yeah. get any better there. Yeah. Um, could you talk about your work with the um, Climate Change Club in Sierra Leone, which yeah. is a very important work I think you're doing? Yeah. Myself, I've been now in the United States uh, one month and few days. I have not got malaria or typhoid. But if you go to Sierra Leone, when I was there, I came from Uganda. Even in Uganda, you always get typhoid. You know, because we don't have clean water. Mm. And people just throw that everywhere. There are no good toilets, no good facilities. You know, people, <laughs> it's terrible. People go to the beach and they defecate on the beach and, and, and all these things. Mm. So there's nobody really to educate them. And you see young children eh, playing in those dirty places. Now, what do you expect? Sickness. So we, we are educating the young people to clean the environment. The government also tried to do the same. Every last Saturday of every month, they were cleaning the country. But since this is government, they were spending a lot of money. Uh, it will be clean now, but in the afternoon, somebody will come and throw the dirt again mm. in the street. So this is the type of culture <laughs> we are trying to we are trying to work against to help the young people. How you can you can clean the place and then you know it's clean. You don't need to come and throw that there again. It's a waste of time that you clean this place and then somebody come and put it again, mm-hmm. and then you clean, then you come and put it again. So why not educate this person that there's a proper place to do these things? Right. Are, um, are, are the children are they getting it? Are they learning? Yes. And, and do you think now they're going to lead their lives? Is this going to change the environment, do you believe? Yeah. The teachers, I, I have 10 teachers who I'm working with. I call them patrons. When we started a climate club with a student, um, about 60 of them, the other student, they said, ah, you are, you are our workers. You are cleaning for us, you know, because we said, let us first start with cleaning. Then we go to the next stage, you know. We want first our students to really understand what we are talking about. So when they really get it and they become part of them, they will do it anywhere they go. So that is the education we are giving. Right. So if you change there, they're young, they have many years in front of them. Yeah. Maybe they can change the whole cultural yes. attitude towards yeah. fighting disease and clean fighting water. Fighting disease and, and, and climate club. Right. And climate on the environment, rather. Okay. You know? um, I, I wanted to finish up on these six students that you are trying to get through school. Could you yeah. tell us about one or two of them and your efforts to get them? Uh, what kind of education are they getting? The students that we have just got some help for them now they are in university. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them we are in my school. These are the last six now. But are they, they are boys many. and girls? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I think I have helped more than 100. But through sometimes you get scholarship and then they say you 
you add some student and then you look for the poorest among them mm-hmm. and you help them uh one among them is a muslim very intelligent she was in our school what is she studying um uh, veterinary veterinary, veterinary okay. yeah veterinary doctor so she was in our school doing agriculture when she finished the father is a big muslim man so he told her to come to the village and get married but she was intelligent and said no that is not the thing you know the father have many wives how can i go she did because our school we only do certificate but you have the possibility to do the degree in the universities mm-hmm. so when they finish and the certificate is not enough for them they say okay let's go and do the degree that will make us also to stand and some of them whom I've really helped they have been female students because they are the ones who are vulnerable you know but when they are educated uh, they will be stronger that's that's the, the because you're saying there are certain uh, village elders that are pulling them back to do their their woman thing yes yes it, well i um the women the women there there was a man we went to give food during covid and then he took the two daughters for marriage mm. but the first time we went they are in our scholarship program the first time we went i saw them and we gave them food and then somebody came and said i want to marry them he said okay go and he told they the girls they, to go yeah he said if you don't go you will not eat from this house again and they give them some few money this is what happened it's terrible yeah. in uganda now some of these students the only thing that we have been is education yeah so this guy said oh i'm not going there again father will help me okay fine i was the principal of the school so have means so i said okay you register for the school and i started to help and you're saying the road out for the women at least is to get an education to become a veterinarian yeah and then they have some choices they can make yes they have some choices they can make and they are strong and they're able to say yes and they're able to say no mm-hmm. because they will have a good job you know and also the the boys some of them i try to help them those who are really poor among them they come to you and you will know that they are poor you know i visited their families and then the, even covid i gave them food so you're able to know where these are really the poorest among them how, how did the six students that you introduced us to and mm-hmm. we we read their letters of yeah. appeal yeah. um do you think they're all going to make it they are going to make it but today i have a sad news <laughs> oh well one of them called and then he said text he said she failed one exam mm-hmm. one one paper in the university mm-hmm. you know then she was crying so much is the father i'm going to disappoint you because i fail one one uh-huh. paper uh-huh. and it's only remain one mark okay we don't know maybe she will not graduate she will graduate with uh, L- lower grade maybe yeah possibly but maybe one one paper remaining for her to sit yeah mm-hmm. maybe uh, so she was really 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 crying yeah well the fact mm-hmm. that this is important to her that's that's good yeah you know yeah she maybe was really crying I was there in Nairobi she was really crying. Right. I I said is it an accident? No. Is it then no. Because I tell them if somebody is there looking for money for you then the only thing you have is your education. 
you don't fail. You don't fail. And that's why I tell them. So that's why she was crying. All right. It's yeah. only one exam. Yeah, only one. Only yes. one. It, and, but they and, are graduating this year, so they are all finishing this year. So there, there's a lot of problems that we've been that you've been talking about that you faced. Lot, How do you lot. keep your spirit up? How do you keep going? Um, well, it's not easy, but I have friends and meeting people like you. I have really trust that if this is a good thing, God will send someone to help you. I don't have, and that is the belief. I tell you. I remember coming. Uh, here, I never had a chance. But then I said, oh, there's a possibility. Uh, people will help if you tell your story, if you really explain these things. Because this is how I have always done. And, and you guys are educated. You are not the first one. So I believe in that. And this is what Don Bosco also used to do, you know, tell the story of the young people and then help. Don Bosco is a very poor man. And, but he went begging and he built churches and schools for the education of the young people. And we salvation, we say, for you, I study, for you, I live, for you, I'm ready even to give up my life, you know? Thank you very much. Yeah. You welcome, Father Philip Gabal, I, I appreciate Martha Hennessy, a granddaughter of, of Dorothy Day, who introduced us and said, you got to talk to Father Philip. Yeah. Uh, he's, got, he's got a great story. He's doing wonderful work. Uh, I know you have something you want to show me. I can't put that on, on, on the audio, but uh, yeah, I certainly like to do it. I just want to thank you again for joining us oh, on, our, on our podcast. Oh, I'm very happy. for and, and, and I want to thank in a very special way for all our friends who have helped these six young people. And we pray that you'll be blessed, uh, you'll be protected. And you also be strengthened in whatever you do. Thank you. And thank you to Kevin Nathaniel, Master Mabira player, for the music.